Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us and we hope you are encouraged by today's message. What's good, Sub 30 man? How you guys doing? You guys doing good? Man, it is a tremendous honor to be with you tonight. Can you guys put your hands together for the online audience and those who are joining us through our podcast? We're so, so glad that you're here. And while you guys are being so courteous with your, with your applause, can we put our hands together for our lead pastors in the building, Pastor Stovall Weems. We got a Stovall Weems signing, man. Thank you so much for coming out and hanging out with us and, and, and coming in and encouraging us tonight. Man, I got to tell you guys, I am so excited about this series that we're going into, Burning Desires, because not only is it going to complement what we're going to be doing on the weekends, but just also being able to share it here with you guys. And I have the privilege and honor of kicking the series off. Now, I know that you guys heard the, 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 the music in the background. I saw a couple of y'all wanted to get up and, and dance a little bit. I'm glad that you restrained yourself. I'm glad that you used a little bit of, of restraint. But what we're going to do is we're going to unpack what it really does look like, what God says about relationships. But then in addition to that, what is our next steps? And so we're going to unpack all that. And what we're going to do is if you have your Bibles with you, I want to encourage you to turn to the book of Genesis. Because when we think about relationships, when we think about all the dynamics that go along with relationships, they, they can be messy. They can be, they can be complex. And, and the reason being is because God has created us to be in community with one another. So no matter what type of relationship we're talking about, whether it's a relationship with your parents, a relationship with your siblings, it, it gets messy because what you have is two unique individuals who are now in one environment, hopefully trying to pursue the same purpose. And so sometimes it gets messy, the dynamics of, all, of, of how it all can, can spill out. And so because of that, we, we look for all types of resources to give us insight on the best way to manage our relationships. Whether it's when we're in line at Publix and we see an article that says that the 10 best ways to have a better relationship. We're looking at those things and we're saying, okay, what do I need to do? Just give me a bullet list of what I need to do to be a better boyfriend or to be a better girlfriend. Like, what does that look like practically? You know, we, we look to the internet. We, we look on the internet and, and, and try to find some things that can hopefully help us to try to figure out what it will look like to be successful in our relationships. I, I met with someone on Sunday and we were talking a little about, they were saying, Keith, you know, I really feel like it's my time to, to, to get settled down. I said, okay, so talk to me a little bit about what you're looking for in, 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 in the girl. And he looked at me directly straight in my eyes and said, man, I just want a girl that's bad and bougie. I said, um, I, don't, I don't really think you do. I don't, I don't really think you do. That's not what that song is all about. But he said that he, and, and, and it's because we, we have all these outside sources that begin to shape the way that we see one another and the way that we begin to think about what a successful, healthy relationship can look like. If you have your, your, your pens with you, I want you to take a note of what we're going to be talking about tonight because what I realize is our experiences shape our perspective, but our perspectives are not always a reflection of reality. Oh, I'm going to say that again. I'm going to say that again. I'm just getting started. I'm just getting started. Our experiences shape our perspective. What did I say? But our perspective is not always a reflection of reality. And this is what I mean. If you go through enough heartache, it begins to shape the way that you see love. And now we can have an unhealthy perspective of what love is. But tonight what we're going to do is we're going to take it back and redefine it and have a healthy perspective of what love is. Tonight's message is called Fake Love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for this opportunity, God, and I thank you, Lord God, for, for these incredible people, Father. Over the next 20 minutes or so, Father, I pray that you allow us to hear your word ever so clearly. I pray that you give us eyes to see you in areas that we have possibly not seen you, God. I pray that you give us ears to hear your voice in areas that we thought that you may have been silent. And God, I pray that you give us open hearts that we could receive the truth of your word. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. 
I'm going to teach a little bit tonight. Is that all right with you guys? Is that all right if I, if I teach a little bit with you guys? You see, when we begin to think about the dynamics of relationship, we have to begin to first think about what was God's intent when he began, when he created us? What was his original intent? And when you think about original intent, a lot of times we lose focus of that and we have a, a, a distorted perspective. You see, relationships a lot of times get discombobulated or, or redefined as a result of the things that we experience because the truth is we have a very real enemy who hates the idea of us having fruitful and successful relationships. And that doesn't extend just to relationships with you and your girlfriend or boyfriend, but it's just relationships in general. Because what you have to understand is the Bible tells us in the book of Isaiah chapter 14 that it says that we have a very real enemy who wanted to take God's place. That was his desire. So when God kicked him out of heaven and he lost his authority and he lost all the influence that he had, God then turned and created us in his own image and then he's given us dominion on earth. So of course the enemy hates us because God has given us the very thing that he wanted. So when God created man, the enemy's looking at us and he says, okay, I need to corrupt the image of God in any way possible and the way for me to do that is to separate them from functioning with unity. That's why there's always this conflict. But when you understand that God created us to have dominion, it's important for you to know that dominion means power and authority in action. God wants you to have dominion in your relationship. That means power and authority in action. He wants you to have dominion in your finances. That's power and authority in action. This is the way that God has created us. And so the ultimate goal is for us to be fruitful. So I'm going to be talking a little bit about what does it really mean to be fruitful, because that's a term that can have a couple of different perspectives depending on your upbringing. I want to share with you what the Bible says in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 23. It, it, it unveils to us some perspective about what God is speaking about when he says being fruitful. See, there's two different types of fruit that we are able to produce. There's fruit of the flesh, and then there's fruit of the spirit, the way that God had intended us to function. This is what the Bible says in Galatians 5. It says, when we follow the desires of our sinful nature or our flesh, the results are very clear, sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. This is what the Bible says is, this is the fruit of what happens when we live life outside of the will of God. But this is what it says is the fruit of when we do find ourselves in alignment with the way that God had originally intended us to function. It says, but this is the fruit that the Holy Spirit produces, love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You see the tension between the two, that there's a, there's a fruit that's the result of the way that we function when we're outside of the will and grace of God, and then there's a fruit that becomes the byproduct of when we align ourselves with God's will. You see, God wants you to be filled with love. He wants you to be filled with joy. He wants you to be filled with peace. But then there's a byproduct of when we live a life outside of God that often comes from that. You see, we're going to look at Genesis. And the reason why we look at Genesis is because when you really want to get a healthy understanding of the way that God intended us to function, we need to go back to the beginning. You see, I, I remember a couple years ago when um, I felt that my iPhone was a little too restrictive. I don't like being told what to do, so I jailbroke it. So I jailbroke my iPhone because I wanted to download apps. I wanted to have the ability to get what I want, didn't want to have to pay the cost for it. And it was fun for a while, but you know what happened? It began to lose its stability. It would just shut down for, for no apparent reason. I inherited some viruses. So you know what I had to do? I had to reset it back to the default factory setting so it could function the way that it was supposed to function. 
And the truth of the matter is we have jailbroke our lives, so to speak, and we've allowed a lot of access to things, but we're not functioning the way that we should function. And we wonder why we shut down. Why do we, why do we get sick? Why do we inherit some things? And what God wants to do, he wants to reset so we can get back to our factory settings the way that we're supposed to function. You see, after God had created man, he begins to, to see that man is, is now walking around, and man is alone at this point. And what the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, it says this, it says, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper as his complement. It's not good for man to be alone. I, I, I want to unpack this for a, a second for you. You see, at this point, God has created everything that we see, the heavens, the earth, everything that's around, but Adam was all by himself at this point. And God makes an observation in a statement. And he said, it's not good that man should be alone. You see, when you take that word alone and you break it down to what the original Hebrew is, that word alone actually translates to the word bad. It's, it's crazy, but if you actually look at the root word, the word alone is actually B-A-D, bad. That's where we get the word bad from. So God was saying when you read the text, it's not good for man to be bad. Well, that doesn't make any logical sense until you look at the original definition of bad. And this is what the original definition of bad is. The original definition of bad from the Hebrew perspective is to be disconnected, unrooted to the wrong source, in other words, producing rotten fruit. So God said it's not good for man to be disconnected because he will produce rotten fruit. You see, every time I go grocery shopping, um, I feel like I'm auditioning for my wife when I bring the groceries home. Now, I go grocery shopping by myself, not because I'm a great husband, but it helps me to make sure that I maintain my sanity. Because I'm not sure if anybody is like me, but I'm very strategic when I go into the store. I know that when I go to aisle three, I'm getting everything that I need in aisle three. And when I leave aisle three, I have no intentions of returning back to aisle three. I got what I needed when I was there. That's the way that I flow. That's the way that I function. My wife, on the other hand, She's more of a free spirit when she goes into the grocery store. She wants to go to aisle three, then we're going to skip four or five, we're going to go to aisle eight, then we're going to go back to aisle five, and though I forgot we got to get something in aisle three, and meanwhile inside of me, I feel like a part of me is dying. <laughs> Seriously. So I've learned to strategically work my calendar in such a way that I go to the grocery store and she doesn't have to come with me. It's just, it's just it helps me maintain my sanity. But the problem is, when I do come home with the groceries, I feel like I'm under judgment. Why did, you, why did you get that brand? You know, it's just one of those things. That's just her way that she wants to contribute. I give her that because I do extend grace. But what I do when I do come back home with the fruit, though, when I come home with the fruit, it's like I just go and I, I put it on the table. And so she comes in and be like, oh, you got some oranges, huh? And I'm like, yes, dear. She then opens up the bag and she looks at it. This is not good. This one's good. I mean, and she literally just takes it. Okay, good, not good. So I feel like I'm on like American Idol just waiting to be like passed through to the next round. Because what she's saying is that this fruit, it's not good, and it's not good to digest, and if we actually eat it, it could make us sick. And so what the Bible is saying about Adam is God saying that if man is not connected to the right source, it's like rotten fruit, and he's not going to be good to digest or to function with his original purpose and plan. That's how God saw Adam when he wasn't connected to the right source. To illustrate this, Jesus tells us in, in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 5, he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Without me, you can do nothing. Again, Jesus is illustrating back to Genesis saying that it's not good for man to be alone or for man to be connected to the wrong source. You need to be connected to the things that's going to help you to produce the right types of fruit. 
So the Bible goes on in, in verse 18 and it says, so God says that it's not good for man to be alone. It's not good for man to be connected to the wrong source. So I need to make a helper to compliment him. Turn to somebody and say, take the compliment. Turn to the person you ignore and say, take the compliment. See, see, see God, he, he said, it's not good for man to have the wrong source. So I need to create the right source for him to be connected to. So I'm going to create someone to be his compliment or that can support him. This is, I want you to, I want you to listen close on this. You see, to compliment something is not to be just like something. Actually, when you look at the definition of compliment, it's actually to be opposite, yet it still supports. So that means that when God saw Adam, he said, I need something that can complement him and him reaching his destination. There has to be an intended destination. You see, the prophet Amos, in Amos chapter 3, verse 3, he says, how can two walk together unless they first be agreed? Understand that the agreement is past tense. What Amos is saying is that it's impossible for you to walk alongside of someone if you have not agreed on the destination. You see, a lot of times we find ourselves connected with people and we haven't agreed on the destination and we're surprised when we end up in unfruitful locations. But, but what the prophet is saying is that how can two walk together unless there be an agreement? Have we agreed on where we are going? You see, again, God has created us to be in relationship with people so that we can produce the right kind of fruit. So a lot of you may be in here tonight and you're saying, man, what's my purpose? Let me tell you the singular purpose that all of us have in common. We are called to be the bearers of the image of God, and we are called to be fruitful and multiply to function with dominion. That is the purpose that God has given us for us to produce fruit. We all have that purpose. Our calling is our uniqueness and how we support that purpose. So I am a preacher. So I am called to be fruitful and to multiply and to bear good fruit, love, joy, peace. But God then uses me as a preacher to produce that fruit. Another person may be a singer. The purpose is the same, but God uses your uniqueness in order to make sure that you can illustrate it for your own unique calling. So that means that when I'm connected with people, we have to come into an agreement that our purpose is in alignment and that way we can make it to the destination together because we're still unique individuals, but because we have the singular purpose, we can make it there because we know what God has called us to do. But, but the issue is, if we don't agree on our purpose, then while I'm trying to walk like a child of God, you're functioning like everything except that. And now I'm linked to something, and now I'm struggling with ever able to make it to the destination that God has called me to. Can two walk together unless there's an agreement? How can my left leg and my right leg not be in conjunction with one another? See, we walk. So my left leg is different from my right leg, but they're working in unison because we're going towards the same direction. But have you ever seen when someone gets struck in with so much fear that they freeze up and sometimes they even collapse? What happens is in their limbic system, in their, their neurologically, they're getting flooded with so much information that one part of their body wants to go one direction, another part of their body wants to go another direction, they freeze up and they fall flat. That's what happens when some people get overwhelmed with emotion or fear. And often what happens when we begin to evaluate where we feel that God is calling us to go, we're trying to make it to the destination that God has called us to, but we're connected to people that are not even having any intentions of making it to that location and we end up not making any traction whatsoever and we wonder why we're marinating in a brokenness. But God is saying, if you find yourself in agreement and recognize that we're called to make it to this destination, you line yourself with people that recognize your calling, that recognize your uniqueness, then it's easier to make it to that destination. That is the way that God has wired us and called us to function. But how can we ever make it there if we're not in agreement? My question is, are you dragging people with you to a destination they don't want to go to? Are you dragging people with you to a destination 
they have no intentions of going to. Paul tells us in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, he says, Don't be mismatched with unbelievers. For what partnership is there righteousness and lawlessness, and what fellowship does light have with dark? He says unequally yoked. He doesn't say that you can't be friends with people that are not Christians. In fact, God wants us to. But when you begin to connect yourself with people relationally, God is saying, what fellowship can you actually have? You're trying to walk to the things of light. And what you're going to do is just create more frustration for yourself. God sees Adam and says that I need to make a helper that can complement him. So what the Bible says is interesting in, in Genesis 2, um, verse 19, it says, So out of the ground Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And Adam named every living creature, and whatever he called it, that was its name. I want to pause right there for a second. I want you to uh, imagine for a moment that, that Adam is alone. He's not producing fruit. He feels a little isolated. God makes this, this startling revelation. It's not good for man to produce wrong fruit and not be connected to the right source. So I need to make a helper to complement him so that he can function and perform the task that I called him to do. So then the Bible says that God then presents these animals to Adam just to kind of see how Adam was going to respond and how he was going to engage the process. And, and when I think about Adam, and I try to visualize the scriptures as much as I can, I visualize Adam getting these animals in front of him, and he's, he's naming the lions, and he's, he's naming the bears, and he's getting into the distinctions of species. And I, I, I imagine this moment when Adam, he identifies and sees something flying in the air. And he's like, wow, like this is a bird, but what kind of bird is it? So, okay, it's, 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 it has a, a huge wingspan in it, and it's flying, it swoops, it moves at rapid speed. But then he identifies another bird that has a lot of the same similar functions. It, it's, it's flying high, it moves rapidly, it, it has a keen sense of sight. When the birds land in front of him, I can imagine Adam looking at it and saying, okay, so what is the distinction between the two? They have a lot of the same functions. They have a, a lot of the same features, but there are some things that are different. Well, he looks at one and, and recognizes that it has an appetite for, for bad fruit. It has an appetite for, for death, so to speak, and says, I'm going to call you a vulture. But then he looks at the other one that has a lot of the same features, a lot of the same wingspan, but he says, but you have the ability to fly above storms and, and obstacles, so I'm going to call you an eagle. Same bird, but they have different functions. And so Adam is able to identify that this one is a vulture because it has a sense of bad fruit, but this one is an eagle because it has the ability to soar above opposition. It, it makes me wonder if there's times in our lives that we're looking at people who have similarities and we're wondering why our relationships aren't soaring like eagles. It's because we haven't recognized that we're connected to vultures. If there's, if there's moments when we refuse to call it what it is, you see, Adam looked at the distinctions and he had to call it what it was. And I think that sometimes we try, to, we try to talk around certain things or we try to make justifications for certain things and we don't want to call it what it is. See, I believe that there's moments where God brings things into our life and it's just for meant for us to call it what it is. Amen. I talk to my daughter from time to time and when I, when I talk with her, and if she was allowed to date, she would implement this, but she's not allowed to. She's, she's just not allowed to, so don't get any ideas. She says, Dad, you know how hard it is for anybody to like me at the church because you intimidate them. And I said, okay, so here's the thing. Here's the thing. If they're not man enough to come and talk with me, they're not man enough for you. You're welcome. You're welcome. So you just got to know. You got to go through me. No one makes it to my daughter except they come through me. So that's, that's the process. That's the, that's the philosophy. I stand by that. But this is what I tell my daughter. I said, I said listen. If someone shows you that they're crazy, believe them. Believe them. Don't call it something other than that. Oh, they just had a bad day. They just call it what it is. 
You're a vulture, God's calling me to soar with eagles. I got enough problems in my life that I don't need to be connected to people that have an identification to death, that can smell rotted fruit and is trying to pull me there. I need people that when I'm in the lowest of moments, they can help me to soar above the storms. They can help me to see life. They can help me to see what God sees in me. I don't need someone that only can talk about the dead things and the brokenness in my life. I need people that can help me to see myself the way that God sees me, but you got to call it what it is. You just got to call it what it is. You see, one of my favorite things to do with my family is I love to go to the movies. And when we go to the movies, we have this, this, this routine that we do when we all go together because we love watching the previews. Who doesn't like watching the previews? I mean, the previews are absolutely awesome. It gives you an opportunity to kind of see what's upcoming. But in addition to that, while you're sitting there and taking in the previews, you get, a, you get an extended version of it because it gives you a glimpse of what the movie is all about. And so what my family and I do is we're sitting next to each other typically, and while we're sitting there, um, We'll see the preview, and at the end of it, we'll all just look at each other, and we'll say, yay or no? Yeah, we want to see it, or we don't, because the preview gave us an indication of what the whole film is going to be about. Now, there's times where the titles can be misleading. You can see a title, and sometimes I'll tell my wife, like, hey, you want to go to the movie? She says, what's out? I'm like, I'll give her the list. She's like, I don't know what that is. I need to look at the previews, because when I see the preview, it gives me a glimpse of what I can expect when I go and see the movie. But a lot of times we just look at the title and we don't look at the preview and we completely miss what the storyline is all about. Oh, it gets better. Hold it. Wait, wait, wait. You'll clap in a minute. Watch this. So, so, so watch this. So many of us can hear the title, The Ring, and think that it's a romantic comedy about somebody getting a proposal, <laughs> bypass the preview, and now we're sitting right smack dab in the middle of a horror film and we're wondering what happens. It, it makes me wonder if there's times in our lives that we get attracted to the titles that people present to us. Oh, he's so cute. He got a great job. She got good credit. All that stuff looks good at the title. That's good. I applaud that. But the reality is that we have to look at the preview because the preview gives me an indicator of what you're really all about. Here's the preview. If you don't treat your mom good, you're not going to treat me good. If you don't treat your family good, you're not going to treat me good. You need to call it what it is and recognize the preview. See, I know a Titanic when I see it. So I'm not going to see that movie. Some of us are looking at titles and wonder why we're right smack dab in the middle of Fight Club. But God is saying that it's time for us to see the preview so we can get an indication of what it is. And the way that you reorient yourself is that you root yourself in the passion of the Christ so that you can finally get to La La Land. But it only gets there when I make sure that I look at the preview. I'm not going to allow myself to look at the title and miss what's right in front of me. You got to call it what it is. Young ladies, call it what it is. If, if, if the only way that he can express his love for you is not keeping his hands off of you, then he's not treating you the way that God has called you to be treated. Call it what it is. Just call it, call it what it is. You see, Adam had animals presented to him, and he had to call it what it was. But what the Bible says is real interesting when we get to verse, when we get to verse number 21, because what it says is, what it says is that, is that, there wasn't a suitable mate found for him. Now, here's the thing, and this is something that I just find to be so incredibly interesting. God knew, God knew that those animals were not going to be compatible for Adam. So God makes the observation that it's not good for man to be connected to the wrong source because he'll produce wrong fruit. God was very well aware that he was gonna bring these animals in front of him knowing that they were an inferior species, but yet he did it anyway. And I believe that some of us may ask that question ourselves when we look at the, the trail of heartbreak that we may have accumulated. 
Why did God allow these things to come into my life? Why did God allow this person to come into my life? I spent so much time. I spent so much energy. I've invested so much. Why did God allow these things to come to me? But it's because I think that God allowed these things to come to Adam so that he could understand his personal value. See, God allowed these things to come to Adam so that he can see himself the way that God sees him. You see, when you know your quality, you won't settle for knockoffs. Let me, let me say it this way. When you know your value, it establishes your standards. When you see yourself as a child of God, as a son of God, as a daughter of God, it changes the way that you, it changes the way that you interact with people and it changes what you accept. I'm not saying that I'm above anybody, but you are not going to treat me other than like a son of God. I don't stand in a place and wait for someone to accept me. I know that God accepts me. I don't look for validation for other people because I've been validated by God. Many of us are putting weight on a relationship that was never meant to carry. Your validation comes from the fact that you are a child of God. And so now I don't got to put that burden on my wife because I know who I am. She knows who she is, so now we can focus on making it to our destination instead of looking for her to fill me with validation. The relationship was never meant to carry that weight. But when you know your value, it helps you to establish your standards. You see, after, after God had brought these things into Adam's life, it wasn't good enough. So the next thing that happens is the Bible tells us in verse 21 is that Adam then goes to sleep. Now, that seems really interesting to me that God had made this observation that, that it's not good for man to be alone because he'll produce the wrong types of fruit. But the next thing was he put him to sleep. How can I go to sleep if I'm still filled with so much stress and anxiety after being alone? How can I honestly rest when I, I feel so unsettled that, that I'm getting older and I still haven't produced any children yet? What do you mean, God, I need to go to sleep? My, like my clock is ticking. You need to accelerate this process. And God's saying, I just need you to give it a rest. I just, I just need you to rest in my presence. I need you to rest in my grace. And I believe that's a message for many of you in here tonight. You may be evaluating your life and you've evaluated and seen that there's some things that have been brought into your life that didn't help you to reach the calling that God was calling you to go to. Maybe you called it like it was and now maybe you feel isolated and disconnected and you're wondering, but God, why haven't I found that right person yet? And God is saying, but I need you to rest in me first. You just need to, you just need to give it a rest. I need you to allow me to fill you up and let you know that my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I need you to rest in me. Let me, let me speak to my married friends in here tonight. You may be in, in the midst of a marriage and your dynamics may be different. You may be a believer and maybe your spouse isn't, or you just may be both believers, but maybe you're struggling. Whatever that circumstance is, you may be saying, but Keith, what does it mean to give it a rest when we're not functioning the way that God has called us to function? Giving it a rest for you in a very practical sense is resting in the grace of God, which means getting involved with people that can help you to reorient yourself according to the purpose that God called you. That's going to Christian counseling. That's getting connected to the right people group that's going to allow you to get connected to the right source. This is how you begin to give it a rest and resting in the resources that God has given you. This is why groups are so important. This is why I want to encourage you that if you ever feel called to lead a group, if God has given you a burden for that, we want you to go to that group's training because you're helping people to equip themselves to know how to identify what God has called them to do. God has said it's time for you to give it a rest. I'm going to invite the worship team to come out at this time, and I'm going to share three quick points with you. And then we're going to, we're going to pray, we're going to worship, and I believe you're going to walk out of here encouraged. My, my first point for you is this. Fake love puts burdens on your back. Real love has your back. Fake love puts burdens on your back, but real love, it has your back. 
You see, when you have fake love, it just keeps adding on more and more weight, more and more stress, more and more burden, more and more discomfort, and you find that it's even hard for you to stand on your own two feet. You see, when you look at Eve, she was pulled from Adam's side. She wasn't pulled from his foot because she wasn't supposed to be walked on. She wasn't pulled from his head because she's not over him, but she was pulled from his side because she's meant to rule at his side. Young ladies, you are meant to rule at your husband's side. That is what God has called you to do, is to be, have dominion, not to be beneath him, not to be over him, but to stand at his side. That was God's original intent. You see, when you have, when you understand the function of a rib, it protects the vital organs. And not only does it protect the vital organs, but it connects to the spinal column, which allows your back to be strong. You see, you want to make sure that you have people in your life that really have your back. I remember going back several years ago when I got into a car accident, and ironically enough, I messed up my back, so I actually couldn't go back to work, and my life was in a complete uproar for about two years. In that time, I wasn't working. My family and I struggled, but my wife had my back. In those moments when I felt at my lowest, my wife encouraged me to help me soar and see myself the way that God sees me. When, I, when I, we didn't have all the finances that I wanted to have, she had my back. So now that time has moved forward to this day, if she wants to go back to school, I got her back. If she wants to stay at home and be a mom, I got her back. You see, it's reciprocal because when you have people that have your back, you know how to lighten the load. Are the people that you're in relationship with that you're connected to, are they adding to your load or are they being a lift? You see, God created Eve to stand at Adam's side and to be a lift and to help him to support and make it to his calling that God had for him. The second point is this, fake love puts you down, but real love builds you up. Fake love puts you down, but real love builds you up. See, when you read Genesis chapter three, this is where we see the enemy come in, the serpent. And he begins to manipulate and he calls Adam and Eve to fall. They fall into sin and the Bible says that they were naked and ashamed. You can, you can read all about it. And what happens here is that there's consequences. There's fruit from that. And so what God does is he comes in and he looks at Adam and he says, like, man, what is, what's going on? What happened? And, and, and Adam is all confused, like, man, but you know, it's, it's the woman. Like, you, you gave her, you brought her into my life. And, and so the Lord is looking around. He's like, okay, I need, to, I, need to, I need to right-size this thing. So he turns to the serpent and he says to the serpent, now, I understand that, that you may have come in and you're trying to, to desecrate the image that I created, and you may feel that you were successful, but you still don't have dominion, and they still have authority over you. Even in the midst of their broken condition, God still placed the enemy under their feet. But interestingly enough, God then turns to Eve, and he begins to let her know, like, here's some consequences. Now, because of, as a result of sin, the fruit of this, here's some consequences. Yes, you're going to give birth to children, and yes, you're going you're to you're struggle in some things, but my grace is with you. You can overcome it, but your redemption is coming. This is, this is how God explains it. But then he looks at Adam, and he says to Adam, okay, Adam, because you've fallen into sin, there are some consequences along that as well. You're going to have to work hard, man. You're going to have to work hard. You're going to have to grind. And it's, it's okay, I'm with you, you're going to have to grind. But I also want you to understand that as a result of this, you're going to die. Not in the moment, not, like I'm not going to strike you dead right now, but now the clock begins to tick and now we live and we die. From dust you came and from dust you shall return. This is the consequence of it. I want you to understand, right after Adam hears that he inherited death, he turns to his wife and calls her Eve 
which means mother of the living. He could have said, woman, do you see the consequences of what happened? You gave me this fruit, you were talking to that serpent, and now as a result of that, we're in this broken condition, it's all your fault. But what Adam did is he saw the potential inside of her, even in the midst of the brokenness, and he said, but I call you Eve. You're going to be the mother of the living, and you're going to be the one who's responsible for giving birth to our redemption, even in spite of ourselves. Are you connected to people that know how to build you up with their words, or do they tear you down? God's original intent was for us to have people that have our back and that know how to build us up. And I don't know where you are and who you're connected to, but these are the bare basics. When you begin to evaluate who you're looking at, you look at the preview, do they build you up? Do they have your back? Can you see yourself with them when you lose your job? Can you see yourself with them when you lose a parent? Can you see yourself with them when they gain weight? Can you see yourself with them when you get cancer? Can you see yourself with them when you're struggling? Can you see yourself with them when they lose a breast? Can you see yourself with them if they lose a limb? God is saying it is beyond the surface stuff. It has to have a deeper substance. Do they build you up and do they have your back? The third and final point is this. Fake love smothers you. Real love covers you. It's interesting how the same blanket that can comfort me and bring me warmth is the same blanket that someone could use to suffocate me. Are you connected to relationships that seem to suffocate you? In other words, they're draining the life out of you. That's not love. Smothering you, stripping away your identity, that's not real love. God is saying that real love covers you. You see, I, I say that because after they had fallen into sin, God recognized that Adam and Eve, they were naked, they were exposed. And so God exhibited the greatest love of all and he covered their nakedness. He killed animals and he covered them and he set the precedence that real love covers you. It was also a type and shadow of saying that something will die to cover your sins. We fast forward and get to John 3.16 and we say that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him shall not perish but inherit everlasting life. The perfect love of God that's expressed through Jesus covers us. That is an example of the realest love that you'll ever see. You see, I know that many of us may look at our lives and maybe there's some fruit that came as a result of living lives outside of God. You know, I can, I can speak honestly and transparently about myself. You know, my wife and I have been together for over 20 years. Had my son when I was just turning 18. We weren't actively walking with God, wasn't married. Had my daughter when I was about 21, I think I was. Wasn't walking with God, wasn't married. We got saved a little bit after that. And, and I remember those moments where the enemy said to me, well, you can't be used in ministry because you have some fruit. You have some things that you have in your past that, that may not have necessarily lined themselves up. And so if you allow that condemnation to get into your mind, it will literally change the way that you see yourself. But the grace of God began to speak to me and said that there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. I, I don't care what you've done or what was done to you, it cannot overpower the grace that I have on your life. You see, when I fast forward and see where I'm standing at now on this platform, 
I can honestly say that what the enemy had tried to convince me was fruit that was the result of living outside of the grace of God, that when the grace of God got involved, that same son is now a pastor on staff at this church. That same daughter is in Celebration College at this church. What I'm saying to you is don't ever let the enemy hold something over your head that God has placed under your feet. You are more than a conqueror. You are victorious in Christ Jesus, but you have to reorient yourself and recognize that real love, it covers you. Fake love, it smothers you. I don't know what your setbacks and, and, and struggles are. I don't know what condemnation the enemy may try to speak to you and what mistakes you may have made in your past, but I want to let you know is that the grace of God is here to meet you exactly where you are. With every head bowed and, and with every eye closed, I want to ask just two simple questions. Whether you're married or single, you are in a relationship, I just simply want to see by a show of hands, just as a sign of solidarity. If you would say, Keith, I, I heard your word tonight, Father, and, and, and what I'll say to you is, I want to put God first in my relationships. If that's you, I just want to know who, I, who I'm praying for, whether it's your marriage, whether you're single, wherever you are, you're just saying, I want to put God first in my relationship. Hands up everywhere. Hands up everywhere. Amen. You can, you can put those hands down. My, my next question is a little bit more specific in relations to your walk with God. Before you ever will have a good horizontal relationship, your vertical relationship has to be in line first. And so if you're in here today and you would say that, Keith, I'm not in a relationship with Jesus. I'm not currently walking with Jesus. Maybe you did at one point, but if you could say to yourself that I'm away from God right now. If that's you, I want to be able to pray for you. But you know that the first step that you have to take is just saying yes to Jesus. If you're in here tonight and you're saying, I want to say yes to Jesus and get that relationship right so that I can be empowered with getting my other ones in alignment. If that's you, I want to pray for you. I don't want you to leave here without allowing Jesus to become the Lord and Savior of your life. On the count of three, with boldness, if you're saying yes to Jesus, committing or recommitting your life to him, I want you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Amen. Amen. Put them up high. Put them up high. Be bold. Amen. Amen. Hands up everywhere. Church, can we put our hands together for those who are saying yes to Jesus? What I want you to do now is I want you to, to stand up. We're going to go into to worship in a moment. And what I want you guys to know is that you can come up to the altar. I'm going to pray for you in just a moment, but I want to create a space where you can get uh, alone with God. If you made that declaration to say that, yes, I want to put Jesus first, I want all of us as a family to repeat this prayer after me. All together, say, Lord Jesus, I give you my life. I believe that you died on the cross and that you rose from the dead. Help me to see myself the way that you see me. I am a child of God. Connect me to the right people so that I can produce the fruit that you've called me to produce. In Jesus' name, amen. Now with every hand lifted up, I wanna speak a blessing over you guys and we're gonna go into worship. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much, Lord, for your word. God, I thank you that you've spoken to us and let us know what fake love is and we're going to call it what it is. Father, I thank you that you're reorienting our perspective to know that we're called to have dominion, that we're called to function with authority and power. Father, I pray for every individual under the sound of my voice that if they're struggling with condemnation or guilt, we bind that in the name of Jesus and know that, God, that your grace is for us and that your grace is sufficient. Father, I pray for breakthroughs and miracles, Father. I pray that you give us the grace that if we need to say no to some things, give us the strength to say no. The people that you want to 
align us with, Father. Allow us to have God-driven relationships and connections, Father. I pray that you strengthen marriages, Father, so that they're God first. I pray for God first relationships as we move forward, Father. God, I speak a blessing over every individual, Father, for any ridicule, any judgment, any bondage, Father. I bind it in the name of Jesus, Father. I pray for freedom. I pray for breakthroughs. I pray for miracles, God, that we can see ourselves the way that you see us. Allow us to see the vultures in our lives and to begin to connect ourselves with the eagles so that we can soar above the storms. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you allow us to find people that will cover us and not smother us. So, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you're with us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. For more information about Celebration Church or to get in touch with us, please visit celebration.org.